Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. I did a really, really, really fun live event on stage with Jerry Hollowell Horner, a.k.a. Ginger Spice, and I did it at the Madison Theater in Rockville Center with Theodore's Books, and it was so wonderful. I am obsessed with Jerry now, and anyway, here's her bio, but enjoy our conversation. Jerry Hollowell Horner is an accomplished singer, writer, producer, and actress who is widely recognized for her iconic place in British pop culture as an original member of the record-breaking girl group The Spice Girls. As Ginger Spice, Jerry played a formative role in the band as they became one of the biggest-selling girl groups of all time. She is the successful author of the Eugenia Lavender book series in the UK and continues to work with the Royal Commonwealth to promote 
prospects through literacy to Commonwealth citizens. She was awarded an honorary doctorate of letters at Sheffield Hallam University and is an outspoken supporter of animals and an ambassador of the London Zoo. You can visit Jerry Hollowell Horner online at rosyfrostbooks.com or follow her on Instagram at the real Jerry Hollowell and on Twitter at Jerry Hollowell and on Facebook slash Jerry Hollowell. Enjoy. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hello. And see, do you want to introduce it? Oh, yes, I'm Sivvy. Nice to meet you. This is Jerry. It's so nice to see you all. Very nice. And thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. And it's really ni- nice to put names and faces together, you know, people that have supported and new fans. It's, it's lovely all coming together tonight. And I think you're going to kick it off by reading a little bit. Did you know that? Apparently so. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. I kind of pick it up here. It's like your bedtime story. You know, sometimes I, I read, well, a lot of the times I'm normally reading my son, who's six, a bedtime story. He's quite adamant I do it. And so it's a privilege to read you something. Okay, so I'm going to give you a light, little, so where are we? Okay, so Rosie Frost, she gets sent to this island, and it's called Bloodstone Island, and it's like a Jurassic Park, but for endangered animals. And this school that she arrives in was built 500 years ago by Queen Elizabeth I in honour of her late mother, Anne Boleyn, who was, let's say, shamed for being smart. And um, so she builds this school and she doesn't want to get married, no wonder. And she says, do you know what? The heirs, the heirs, the the pupils, their ideas, really smart kids, they're going to be my heirs, right? So 500 years later, Rosie gets sent to this school and she arrives there, and when and it's you know it's this massive building, and you know it's a little bit creepy. And she comes face to face first of all with a deputy head, and then this let's call her a mean girl, Ottilie, and she's one of those archetypes that you think okay, she's gorgeous, smart, clever. Anyway, she locks her in what this what's called the Falcon Queen Gallery, and the Falcon Queen Gallery, and Anne Boleyn was known as the Falcon Queen. And the Falcon Queen Gallery really celebrates amazing women. And there is a Falcon King Gallery, but this one's Falcon Queens. And it celebrates all women of history. So let's say, for example, her mother, Queen Elizabeth, and herself, but also like Charlotte Bronte, Frida Kahlo, Amelia Earhart, you know, the the pilot, all sorts of women that have done amazing things that's in this gallery. Anyway, so, and she's just, and uh, Ottilie, She's kind of like a Kim Kardashian, beautiful, gorgeous, smart as a whip. She says, oh yeah, and she shows her it. And then she locks her in. And she has to spend the night there. It's her first night and her mother's just died. And she's like, what the hell is going on? Anyway, so this is what happened. It's 3 a.m. and she wakes up. She's all cold and she's thinking, what the hell is going on? She hears a noise. And imagine this gallery. It's like oak, wooden floorboards, big paintings, Anyway, this is what happens. Yes. <laughs> the same sound echoed again. The ta- this time accompanied by a repeated tap, tap, tapping noise. Footsteps. Who's there? Everything is fine. Everything is fine. Hello? Rosie called. Her throat was tight and her voice came out raspy. 
Hello, she said again. A cold rush of wind bristled, bristled Rosie's hair. Her skin prickled as if someone had just brushed past her. Who's there? She turned round then back again, which was when the woman walked straight out of the wall into the centre of the room. Rosie covered her mouth to hold back a gasp. Her heart was racing at the speed of a galloping horse. It wasn't possible. This is not real. This is not real. I'm just dreaming. The woman remained focused on what she was doing. She knelt in the middle of the room in front of the large fireplace and started muttering to herself. There was another flash of lightning and Rosie glimpsed her deep, dark eyes, which had the same power as a storm outside. The woman then hung her head low and smoky tendrils danced around her like a mist on the ocean. Where the light from the windows hit the woman's body, she looked almost see-through. Rosie dug her nails into her palms, trying to wake herself up, but she could feel the sharp pinch in her skin telling her she wasn't dreaming. She shook her head, but deep down she knew the truth. She was looking a ghost. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that's, that's just kind of the beginning to get you there. So, Jerry, this book was so good. You are so smart. And the way that this book is written, you will all see if you haven't read it already, which of course you probably haven't. It's so well written, and you know that Jerry is such a history buff when you read it because there are all these little clues and things that are so important to world history but they're so palatable when they come out in the book and you just don't even realize that you're learning. How did you decide to do the book this way or was it on purpose? Here's the thing, I've always loved books and I'm curious, but I'm lazy. Like I like to know about anything or anyone. I think everyone's got a story. And I always like the Tudors. It's a really dramatic time. And I wrote Rosie first, do you know what I mean? The character of Rosie and her friends around her first. And, and I thought, yeah, she's going to be at the school, and there's going to be conservation, it's important. And I thought, well, could I give the school some DNA, some theme? And the first person I thought of was Queen Elizabeth I. And then um, I thought, well, what about Anne Boleyn? And I remember, and I said it to, I said it to a guy in the publishing world, and he said, oh, no, don't pick her. She's, uh, you know, she's a bit contentious. And I was like, oh, really? Let's look at her. <laughs> and, and, and then I thought, actually, you know, this is a story written about a woman that 500 years ago, she was executed for what was said to me. Was it true? And then I started to feel sorry for her. Can you imagine if you were a mother and you've got to leave your little girl behind because somebody said some bad things about you? And, you know, maybe she was just, smart and people were threatened by her so I thought let's lean into her and the more I learned about her I thought actually she's pretty cool and amazing and she believed in reform and creativity so I've sort of that inspired me to put it in but gently and I know you've been working you worked on this book for quite a long time yeah I don't know if you ever saw the musical six I have yes okay so I was like oh I know Anne Boleyn like, now I know she's, like, in the popular discourse. So I felt like this yeah. is now the continuation. Yeah, because Six is brilliant, and it's a light way entry point of those six wives that are all fantastic. The only thing I thought was, do you know what? Amblin was smart. Mm -hmm. You know, she was smart, but she was shamed for it. So, um, yeah. Okay. 
So where, where did the, the best part of this, the crux of the book, where did it come from? When did you decide you wanted to write this? Why for this age? Like, where did it all come from? Okay, so we say this age. I, I feel like the best stories are timeless and ageless. It doesn't matter whether you're 10, you're 30, or 78. If you got a good story, a good character, it speaks to anyone. That's the first things first. And how did, how did it start? So, okay, so I had written younger children's book before, and it did well. And I, and I remember thinking, oh, I'd really... I always put my finger to the wind and think, oh, how does the world feel? Because I think words are like... You know, sometimes when you write something, it's like the words that other people can't find. It's just for them. And um, I thought, I think the world needs a new hero. You know, someone ordinary. You know, and maybe we feel vulnerable and we're not airbrushed. And can we find her in a, in a story? And, you know, and so I'd already written this children's book before. And I thought, and I, and I had this agent and his name was Christopher Little and he discovered Harry Potter. And, and I asked him and I said, oh, should I just age her up? And he went, no, start again. I was like, oh, okay. So um, he's not alive anymore, but he encouraged me for, for many years. And so I started writing her, Rosie, right? And I started like, building her and the characters around her. And, but for me, it's always character first, because if you don't care about a character, you know, whether they climb a mountain or whether, I don't know, whatever they do, big or small story, you've got to care about the character, otherwise you're not going to page turn. You're not going to care. Why, why are you going to waste your time reading? So... I always go character first. And let's make her true to you, whoever you are. Maybe she'll match you on the inside. Maybe your outsides are different, but, you know, let's feel her heartbeats. That's what I try and do. Well, I love how Rosie also flips the script on the traditional fairy tale of the Prince Charming coming and rescuing the princess, which she talks about in the book. But also you have a scene very early on where during the Falcon Games, and I'm not giving too much away, there are these amazing Falcon Games that are the, the heartbeat of the story, where she is in a position to rescue a boy as opposed to the boy rescuing her. Yeah, I mean, I thought, let's just be real. I think let's just be real. I think if you can see it, you can be it. And there is this adorable boy in it called Charlie. I love him, right? <laughs> and all these characters feel real to me anyway. They are real. They, you, see, you see Charlie's and Rosie's and all sorts of these characters in our everyday life. And I, I thought, you know what? Boys and girls, you know, sometimes boys cry. That doesn't mean, you know, they can still be strong, but they, sometimes boys cry. And I thought, I think it's important if you can see it, you can be it. It's important for char- boys to see that you cry and it's okay. You still can be the tough guy. But also, and, gu- and girls get angry. And we see, Ch- we see Rosie, she does save the boy, you know, very early on. And they sort of make that connection, you know, but it's always changing. It's always, I think, you know, sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad, sometimes we're the hero, sometimes we're not. Yeah, so you'll see it in one of the early scenes. It's quite, it's quite, an, I would say, how would you say those scenes are quite, the Falcon Queen games, they're all testimony to the Tudor times, even though it's set in modern day. They're quite aggressive, aren't they? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a great new Harry Potter. Really, they're games. It's amazing. It's just fantastic. Another Definitely. element that this book has, though, that's quite different and unique, I haven't read this before, is this huge focus on conservation and animals and 
what it means to be a good citizen with all the other you know, creatures around. Talk about that a little bit. You know, as I said, I sort of care about the world, but I sort of, but I, you know, I don't understand things. I don't, you know, I, how to save it. How can we save it? And sometimes in life we might not know the answers, but that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't look at the problem. But can we sort of lightly sort of put it in the landscape of things? And, it, and I, I strive to make a story that was really prevalent to our life now. And so, you know, Bloodstone Island is this, this island that's in the Atlantic Ocean and it's got its own ecosystem, but it's really reflective of what's going on now. So it's got all these endangered animals. That's real. There's wildcats, uh, Komodo dragons, different kinds of dragons. All sorts of creatures live there and the plants, the whole of it, and the soil is all very reflective of now. And I don't know what the answers are, and I don't know if any of you have got to, had a chance to read it or got to the end of the book, because you, I don't want to give it away. But it, it sort of lights up that question about what, what are we doing? But I wanted to sort of... If you, if, you, if you can't be bothered that day, you just want a fast-paced, you know, adventure, that's it, off you go. But there's, there's little questions in there if you want it. And I care about the world. I love animals. You know, I think animals are so honest. So I feel like, you know, can we look at... The world belongs to, to all of us. We're just visitors, aren't we? So, yeah. You have another scene in which... And I, I don't think this is giving anything away, yeah. but where, I'll just say, a, a creature could be perceived as being very mean, and yet all of a sudden she flips the script on that as well and gets the creature to sort of calm down and I feel like oh the wildcat yeah the wildcat and yeah. that there's a, a theme also sort of pervading the book of keeping keeping your enemies closer and is an enemy really an enemy and how can you kill them with kindness essentially is that yeah that's the sort of perspective of it I mean Rosie's experience in grief and I don't know if any of you have ever lost anyone it's and it's sort of embedded in them again it's embedded in in the story, but it's not the forefront. It's not the main. If you if you don't want to see it, you don't you don't have to feel it. If you don't want, but it's there. And she's really uncomfortable, and she's in pain. And you know, and this is a modern day hero. So we've had plenty of orphans, you know, in other stories. But there's a there's, the the feeling is a little bit more on the surface about what grief is. And she's angry. And she's hurt. And she's defensive about it. And then suddenly she meets this, a, an animal that's actually, I, I sort of, as I wrote it, it, it's sort of meant to be slightly reflective of her and they get this connection. And first of all, you're going to think this animal, is it, you know, is it, is it, is it, is it going to bite me? Is it, and there's sort of some com commonality going on. That's the, the point of the wildcat, that you sort of don't know where you stand. But as you say, once in life, our differences you know, on the outside. We're more alike than different, basically. I do think the way you wrote about grief was beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful and heartfelt, and I feel like all of us kind of feel like kids when we lose somebody we love, yeah. right? There's that something just so basic where you just want to be with that person, you miss that person's hugs, you just want to be yeah. with them. Where did that come from for you? How did you tap into that? I, I was told, write about what you know. And so sometimes you just use it as an ingredient. You know, like sometimes there are characters, you know, if you've got Bina, like I know someone that's 
like she's has a Muslim background and she likes wrestling. I thought that's so brilliant. She's gorgeous, and I sort of used a bit of her with someone else. But regarding the pain of grief, okay, so I thought, well, I experienced that, and that, and it wasn't until after I'd written it, you know, that the opening chapter when she finds out that you know her mother is dead. You know, so that I wrote that, and I was looking at, I was, and I wrote that last that 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 chapter. I got asked to sort of go backstory a bit more, and so she's that grief that she feels. I felt that, but I felt so awkward, like because, I, and I think it's the same in America. They that's a Western thing is like, you know what we, you know, we feel a bit awkward about showing our feelings. I think we've got better. But I thought, can we just sort of lay out on the page, you know, and, and honestly, simply. So, so, so I sort of did, did it in the, the letter writing. So there's a little bit of burrowed experience of myself in there. I'm sorry. It's okay, you know, you, you know what I believe in life? That you can turn all your, like, poop or pain to fertiliser. It's all useful. It's all copy. You know, whether you've been bullied or something's been, you know, hasn't gone the way, it's all useful. It, you know, I'm, I actually thought the other day I was really grateful for some of the, the things that I found challenging because, it, and I've heard people say this before, but I'm grateful for the, the challenges I've faced because I've, I've been able to, to sort of use it in a positive way. And I never understood that before when somebody else has said it, but I wouldn't be able to write what I've written if it wasn't for that pain. Does that make sense? There's been a lot of articles lately on this new post-traumatic growth. And how Ooh, I never heard that before. Yeah, so it's after you get through the trauma, later you have this new sensitivity, new appreciation for life, and it yeah. has like four to five bullet points of really significant, life-altering, long-term effects that are very, very positive. Okay, I'll take so, that. That sounds, so that sounds useful. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 
20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. <laughs> Can you go back to how you wrote this? This is involved. It's over a long oh my stretch. There's so many bits and pieces. All, I mean, it's really an accomplishment. So tell me about the actual writing of this. Okay, so I remember, I think I was, because what I like about writing is that, and I've always loved the power of words, because I used to study, I studied English literature before I went into music, theatre and English literature, and I was, you know, I've always loved books. The Great Escape, because it doesn't matter how much money you've got. You know, I didn't have a lot of money when I was younger, and I was thinking I could escape, and you could find a character that you love, and you could experience things. You could get transported. This is the, you know, I think any bookie loves that. And so my process, you know, so obviously I always loved writing songs and on the whole creative thing in the music it, part of the music. You know, I love that. And then I'd written these children's books, and that was okay. But this was a, an entirely different medium to do it. And I, I tell you what, so first of all, I was just writing, like, as I went. There was no plan, so to speak. And this was about, I think it was either 2014 or 2015. And, I'm, and I liked it because I took my laptop, and I'd go, if I wanted to go and be a nice wife, I'd go and go with my husband right but I still wanted to be creative and or if my children were at school I still want to be creative but I want to be there for people I love so I started writing and just to sneak off and you know and get lost in it and and I could feel it and visualize it all in my mind and these characters were you know evolving but then I someone a few things that I learned as I went and the, one of the first things, it was Dawn French, she's a comedian and she's a writer, and she said, leave your phone outside the room. That is an absolute creative killer because otherwise you can be on your, your laptop and then suddenly you look at your phone and you get drawn in and that's it. You're, it pulls you out at the moment. So that was one of, the, one of the first things I did. And then the other thing was make, you have to make a commitment like to that. So let's say from 9 to 12, I'm going to write, even if I don't feel like it, and I just write, it doesn't matter what it is, write. And have breaks as well. And then I read this book by Stephen King, and he does a book on on writing, and he said things like, um, pull the shutters down. You know, so you've got no outside stimulation. And that towards the end of it, I started doing that. But in the morning, I'm fresher. But then I wrote some of the, you know, the, like, darker scenes, like in the graveyard. I actually wrote that at night. I'd sometimes, and sometimes I think about a scene before I even got there. You get an aha moment of how to crack the case. You know how she, and I'm always borrowing things. You know how she open, she um, unlocks that door? Yeah. Like someone told me, I was like, oh, that's really good. I, know, I was like, how did she know about that? I know. <laughs> Let's question, well, how did I know about that? 
so there's, there's different. And then I'd, the other thing was I'd share early drafts with really such generous writers. Like they were always encouraging. That's a really nice thing about um, writers and publishers. They're so, they're so, most of them, I would say, just so lovely and encouraging. And there was a writer called William Boyd, and he'd written Any Human Heart. It's amazing. It is, it's a chunky read, but it's like, he is like the Beethoven of, he's so accomplished, he's award-winning, brilliant man. And I met him, this sounds name-droppy, but I met him at Buckingham Palace. <laughs> and, <Work>. yeah, <laughs> and I work for the, uh, the Royal Commonwealth, and they do this literacy campaign, getting all kids around the world to, to write stories, and he's a judge. But he was just standing there. I didn't realise he was William Boyd, and I said to him, oh, hello, are you a writer? And he went, yeah. And I and, oh, he published, and he went, yeah, Penguin. I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then I did, my name's William. And then I said, oh, I've written this manuscript. I've, I've, I was, you know, a few drafts in, and I said, oh, would you mind reading it? And it was like giving Humpty Dumpty to Beethoven. Like, this man was amazing. And I realised who I'd given my book to afterwards. But he was really generous with me. He said, look, I said, why am I getting, you know, it's not quite working. And he said, you need to rewrite it in the, first, uh, in, in the third person and in the past tense. And because I'd written everything in the I and the present tense. And he goes, you've, you've backed yourself into a corner. And so that was a massive lesson, and it took me like another year to just redo it again. So that's why I was learning. You know, I was making mistakes. And it, afterwards, he said, you could instead write it, you structure it before you start. There's two ways to do it. And so I think that gives you more of a framework, which, you know, I've done this for the second number two. I've done that. Mm. Wait, tell, what can you say about number two? It's darker. Darker? Yeah. I think because, you know, the re- I think never underestimate your reader. Mm. You know, that they grow and want more. So I've sort of done that. Is this like we won't be able to sleep at night kind of dark? Or? Hopefully because you wonder what's going to... Like, what's, what's, the, what's, you know, what's behind it? Yeah. I always okay. try and give you that, like, little sort of questions to ask yourself, hopefully for that reason. And how, how long do we have to wait until that comes out? We'll see. I've got to, I'm meant to be handing it in by the end of November, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm trying. Yeah, I've just got a bit, an edit back, so yeah, I'll try. I'll do it on the plane. Do you ever feel because I know many authors do feel this way, having interviewed a lot of authors, that this sort of imposter syndrome, like there are all these authors out there who are, you know, fantasy or who have written fabulous tomes and all of these things like can I really do it like do you ever feel that way I think that's a human condition isn't it It depends what day you ask now I put these little nuggets of quotes in there sometimes and there is this drama teacher Mr Marcellus and he's just really like theatrical and Shakespearean and he says our doubts are our traitors and it's true, we can listen to this like voice going, nah, 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 blah, blah, blah. you know, and we all have that. You know, we can all think about, oh, is this good enough? And I think that's, you know, you get these four, four rules, the Falcon Queen rules in this book that she, that Queen Anne Boleyn, she gave the, this rule book to Elizabeth I, and then Anne Boleyn, the ghost, gives it to Rosie. And, and that first rule is have courage, take the. Take it a chance you fear the most. If I'm honest, I'm always thinking, oh, God, you know, I'm a little bit scared here. 
you know, but something, you know, apply the other rules and united we stand, you know, get a little bit of support and then be of service. And it sort of pushes me on. Then it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, I also think if it's that easy, if it was so easy, not everybody would be attracted to doing it as much. If part of it is figuring out how to give yourself the confidence to keep going and then doing things like rewriting from a different point of view or a different tense and not feeling bad about it. Yeah, I think it's sort of having the humility to go, you know, it's okay to... I mean, nobody likes the word fail. It just feels very ouchy. But, to you know, to learn and to keep learning, I think. Because I know I'm not perfect. You know, I'm not... You know, nothing is perfect. But the essence of... I think if something is honest... You know, if if you stand in truth, your words have power in anything you do. It's not going to be perfect, but if there's something true about that, then, then, you know, then that's good. That's true. Wait, tell me how you came up with the four principles. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we've all got rules in life, haven't we? And who likes rules? But those rules, I just think they're really simple. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you break them down, I mean, you say, well, have courage, united we stand, never give up and then make up your own rules. I mean, you can unpick them up and sort of broaden them. But I think they all support each other. Do you know what the funny thing is? Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, what should I do? And I'm thinking, just lean on those rules. <laughs> you know, lean on those rules. And they work. They actually work. You know, when I'm rule number three, if I'm, I can sit here and think, oh, my God. You know, what does everybody think of me? You know, is this book good enough? I just, this sounds name droppy, but I'm going to sh- share this with you, right? So I've just come back from j- doing Jimmy Fallon, right? And I was thinking, oh, he's, you know, it's the Jimmy Fallon show and everyone, you know, it's a privilege to be invited to be on there. And he's, he was absolutely lovely. But when I say to myself, just show up and be of service, you know, just step up. Rule number three, you know, just serve your kingdom so let's say whatever your kingdom is you know be of service to to jimmy to you like bring that in then suddenly it's not about me it really takes that pressure off does that make and then you're free to be your best self Hmm. does that make sense and that's only through experience because my ego wants to tell me otherwise it's our egos that sort of criticize us and go can i let go of that it's not about me today was that how you felt in the music world too? Or how did those two... I think I learned it. Yeah, definitely. You know, when I would you know, go on stage or something like that, you think, oh my goodness. <laughs> I think, but that's human condition. That doesn't mean that I don't feel afraid, as I said before, or feel nervous. I think it's natural. It's just to, 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 to own those feelings and go, oh, it's okay. I listened to your interview at The View this morning, which was very interesting. And I so amazing lady. You you were so charming, I have to say. If you all have not watched that, go on YouTube and watch it later. It was really, really wonderful. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg, she's amazing. I mean, she is such an inspiring lady. And Joy, oh my goodness, she's 80, (laughs) right? And I went on there 20 years ago. And, you know, so we all want to look to other women going, how are you doing that? And, you know, Whoopi's just got this amazing energy that's, you know, she's strong, but she's, you know, she's sweet at the same time. I just felt how lovely to, to meet these women. 
But you were talking about advice that you wish you had told yourself at 30 and how you have to get through things. And I was wondering what advice you have for, I don't know, all the ages. I mean, not the, I mean, it's a lot, but you know, how do you get through some of the transitional times in life? And I think what I'm, le- and I'm still learning, I do not have the answers to, to, I'm still learning, right? It's just my experience, that's all I can share. But I think my experience, the challenges are always happening. You know, it's like the weather. Like, what was it like last week? I was here in New York. You know, it was absolutely torrential, heavy rain, and suddenly it's sunshine. The the, the real constant thing is change, right? So what am I going to do about it? And like circumstances, and sometimes it's good weather, sometimes it's bad weather, or somewhere in the between. It's it's very much, how am I going to show up with that weather? You know, easier said than done. Um... Can I, can I give myself that support, you know, whatever the weather, you know, whatever the circumstance? And it always does change. And that's one thing I do know, you know, but, but I think life just gives you different, you know, challenges as you go on. But I think maybe life as you get older you have with experience you get a bit more perspective sometimes you know you can I can go into reaction but sometimes it just gives me a little bit like okay how important is this a little bit more would you how what do you think I agree I think that's great yeah I say that to my kids sometimes they're fighting about something and I'm like really in like a year are you gonna look back on this fight like how important was this rather you go you sit on this chair in the elevator or not you know nobody you're never gonna remember this so yeah, and, but I think we could all pull each other over the wall at different times, so to speak. You know, when the next tomorrow I'm like fretting about something, you think, yeah. and then someone, you know, a friend will remind me. And that's rule number two: united we stand, divided we fall. We just go, okay, right. Thanks for that reminding. Have your kids and everybody in your family read? Have they read the book? Well, what do they think Monty. That you know, we all want like the love and support from our family. And they can be our best and worst critics, I think. So I used to go and go off to this writing shed. And my husband, I got a husband now, it took me a while. He'd go, like, where are you going? And I said, I just need to go and write, I'm sorry. And then I'd go, would you, would you read it? And he said, no, when it's published. And I'd be like, okay. And then you know, when I get a finished version. And so when, this was about two weeks ago, he was going off travelling... You know, and this man, he's, he's going to be 50, and he doesn't read very much. He'll do an autobiography, if you're lucky, once a year. Right? And so I said, oh, could you mind? You know, here it is, big chunky read. And he went, okay. And the first thing he said, you know, he got into a th- like 100 pages, and he went, it's much better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then he said, and then he finished the whole thing, and he said, yeah, I... I couldn't stop turning the pages. I just wanted to know what happened next. And I was like, my work is done. (laughs) Uh, And so that was good. Yeah, and Bluebell loved it. And she's been very supportive because she loves loves English literature. She likes writing. And Monty, he is six and a half. So he's like, whatever, mum, I just want you to show up for me. He's, He's got his, he's obsessed with Lego. It's okay. Well, that is the end of our questions. Thank you so So much. You've been amazing. Thank Thank you. you. You've been so good. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.